Morning. Good to see you. Love you. We're finishing up my son on the way to church. He said, Dad, do you know what my favorite page of the Bible is? I said, what? He said, Romans. And I said, son, it has become mine as well. In fact, uh, I have a a little bit of like remorse that we're wrapping up the book of Romans right now. I have absolutely loved this season. In fact, I think it's really important uh, to bring some clarification to last week. You know, here is the disadvantage. Let me teach you a little bit of, of studying the Bible and when you go to study the Bible on your own. The disadvantage of studying the Bible is breaking up the letters. Okay, so the book of Romans was one letter to a church that was broken and divided. Jew, Gentile, Jews were expelled from the church for five years. The Gentiles took over all of worship, got rid of Jewish liturgy. Jews came back into the church. And when they came back in, it was different than what they knew before. And they're saying, what have you done Why have you screwed this all up? And so then what happens is Romans 1 through 3, and and you remember this, Paul just obliterates everybody, right? I remember the first two messages. I thought, I don't know if anyone's coming back for this season. We are all on the same sinking boat. And then he goes into how we live as Christians, and in the end, his final practical application. Here's what happens. If you, if you start doing it, and we don't have a choice, unless you want to do a, a three-week straight sermon season without ceasing on the book of Romans, we have to break it up book by book. But here's the thing. If you get one book without getting the context of the letter, you can miss the message. So last week when I'm talking about do not judge, don't judge me was a a phrase that I used. We're not talking about sin, right? We're talking about non-essentials. Paul has built his case already with calling out sin, with dealing with our own sin. There is no one righteous, no, not one here. Some of the things he said, Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Romans 8, 2, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Romans 12.9 says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them, but hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. We were talking about non-essentials last week. In other words, we were talking about things where scripture doesn't give complete clarity and it's not a matter of essential doctrine and Christians fight and argue and bicker about it all of the time to a point of divisiveness, to the rise of denominations, to everything else in between, right? We're not talking about sin. Let me be crystal clear. Last week was not a pluralistic justification of you do you, I do me, don't you judge me, I won't, you don't you judge me, I won't judge you, and we'll all just live our own truth. Okay? It was not at all. Don't judge me is simply this. We don't judge, we accept, and we be convinced before the Lord that our non-essential convictions as Christians don't divide us. So if you grew up in church and you didn't wear hats in church and you see a young college student walk in here with a hat on backwards and your impulse is to go to them and say, that hat off and honor the house of the Lord. Paul's saying don't divide the body over that, right? 
grow in relationship with them, grow, grow in discipleship with them, uh, get to know them, get to know their name, get to know their heart, get to know their story. And if God opens a door for you to take that liberty and, and discuss conviction, great, wonderful. But don't walk in obliterating everybody. Don't walk in pointing fingers at everybody. You may have been raised where in a, in a time where you, you didn't get tattoos. Tattoos were against everything uh, that you believed about the Lord. Although I think in Revelation 21 it alludes to Jesus having a tattoo on his hip, but I, I don't know. Um, but there... <clears throat> That is not something to just attack a brother about. It's not something to divide about. I used an illustration, and in no way was I trying to justify the Zodiac, but I shared with you about a young college student who came to me, got saved, reading their Bible, and was so impressed that their, their Zodiac sign reading for that month matched what they read in Scripture. I had one of two options. This is my first time meeting this person. Say, hey, listen, sister, you're on your path to hell. You read that mystic stuff, you know? Uh, we got to cut. No, I, I just said, you know what? I'm going to grow in relationship. Hey, love you. Love that you're reading scripture. Isn't it crazy that God can affirm scripture through things like the Zodiac, right? Like, wow, isn't that wild? Stay close to the word of God, sister. Keep diving in and keep walking with Jesus, right? But we have to take this approach. And, and, and in no way am I justifying. Go back and read Romans 1 through 3, and you'll see Paul's very clear. But we have to have the context of the letter, okay? We have to have the context of the letter. Once we establish the context, we can walk through chapter by chapter by chapter knowing the overall message. So here is some context for Romans chapter 15. And 15 and 16 we're going to cover today. 16 is nothing but goodbyes and conclusions with one final charge to the believer. But 15's unique. 15 comes back and Paul reaffirms what he said in Romans chapter 14, okay? So he reaffirms, let's not be these hyper-judgmental, divisive people over non-essential issues. Let's be a people that unite. And then after he shows the, the blanket picture of what unity looks like, then he takes us to a place that the Spirit confirms it. In other words, he says, here is what unity looks like in the body of Christ, and now here is how the Holy Spirit confirms all of this. So let's jump in. Romans 15, 1 through 2. It says, we who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. Did you know Christian maturity is about moving beyond pleasing just yourself? Christian maturity is far more than you getting yours in the house of God. I'm a little feisty this morning. I'll just, I'll just stay here for a second. Because I remember someone who came into one of our worship experiences and they had a different experience or, or a different expression of worship that was custom to our culture, right? It stood out. I noticed it. Other people were noticing it. So I went to this person and I said, hey, uh, would, you, would you mind how you worship the Lord in the privacy of your own home or in your own time of intimacy with him is great, but would you mind when you're in in this corporate culture to match the culture of how we express worship. I think it's important as a united body to worship and express worship in a way that matches our culture, and when someone doesn't, it stands out. And they said to me, well, if I can't do what I feel like I need to do to my, for my King Jesus, I can't worship here. Okay, here's what I said. But listen, you are a passionate follower of Jesus. 
you have major potential for the kingdom of God. And if you could just give up one of your liberties to build up the body of Christ, you're going to have far greater impact than if you just make it about you all the time. If it is, well, this is about me, this is for me, I'm, I, this should, this should, the message should give me what I need, the worship should give me what I need, and I should be able to do whatever I want in response to that, inside of a body is completely missing up, missing what it means to build up the body. Paul says Christian maturity is not seeking to please ourselves, it's building up the body of Christ. I had a charismatic preacher tell me one time, uh, the hardest thing to do is to get charismatics to think about anyone other than themselves. Because they're so wrapped up in their own experience. So wrapped up in how it touches them and how it makes them feel and how, it ex how they express it. He said, if the hardest thing to do is get charismatics to think. And listen, I'm a charismatic in spite of charismatics, right? But he said, the hardest thing to do is get them to think about anybody but themselves when they experience the Lord. But yet Paul says what in Romans 15, one through two? We who are strong must be considerate of those sensitive about these things. We must not just please ourselves. We should help other people do what is right and build them up in the Lord. Okay, here's the message of Romans 15, starting verses five through six. He says, may God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So his main message is actually the fulfillment of a prophecy in Jeremiah 32, 39. He says, and I will give them one heart, and one purpose, to worship me forever, for their own good and for the good of all their descendants. So he is saying, God is longing for a united voice of diversity to come together and worship in unity for his glory and our good. Let me see if I can say that again. Say, God, is, God has been, from the very beginning, he has been longing for a united voice of diversity that comes together to give him glory for his glory and our good. It was different the second time, but close enough, right? That's, that's been God's heart. That's been God's longing. That's what he's desired to do. And then Paul continues, Romans 15, seven through nine, and he gives an illustration of this. And this will be familiar for us who've, who've walked through this season. He says, therefore, so in light of this message of unity, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to his promises he made to his ancestors. Verse nine, he also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. Now you see what he just did, right? He took both groups that were at odds with each other and were divided in the church and were fighting over non-essentials and were arguing about everything. And he said, did you know that Christ died for you? And did you know that Christ died for you. And now here is the key, the acceptance of you accepting them and them accepting you is your acceptance with Jesus. In other words, your acceptance of other people is based on your justification, not how you feel about them. 
Listen to what Paul says. Romans 15, 79, therefore accept each other. That's us. Just as Christ has accepted you. And then he goes into, he came for the Jew, he came for the Gentile, he came for the rich, he came for the poor, he came for the slave, he came for the free. So every one of us in here are to accept one another as believers in Jesus, not based on how we feel about each other, but based on what Christ has done and accepted us. That means if your enemy comes to know Jesus as Savior, you can't look at them and say, but you're still my enemy. You still hurt me deeply. You still did terrible things to me. You still betrayed me. You lied to me. You cheated on me. You treated me terribly. But now they've surrendered to Jesus and they've given their heart to Jesus. And Paul says, we have to accept them. Not because of what they've done or what you've done to them, but because Jesus has accepted you. When you were cheating on Jesus, when you were running from Jesus, when you weren't loyal to Jesus, when you weren't obedient to Jesus, when you weren't doing what Jesus wanted you to do, he accepted you. And now Paul is saying that same acceptance becomes the basis for how we accept one another. I was driving on 45 the other day, and there was a, there was a wreck on 45, and they were shutting down the lanes. And as they were shutting down the lanes, you know, I'm, I'm merging over, so I hit my, my blinker and I move over one lane. And when I move over one lane, there's this guy in front of me and he, he turns his blinker on and I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, come on, brother, come on, brother, you know, come, come on in. You know how you do that, right? And so he comes over and then he jets over into the other lane. And so I'm, we're, we're going in this traffic jam. Lo and behold, the lane I'm in shuts down. So I come up right next to his truck. Leave it to a guy in a Ford, right, Tricia? Leave it to a guy in a Ford. I pull up next to this truck, and when I get up next to him, I turn my blinker on because now my lane's closed, and I start to go over. You know what this guy did? Gave that gas a little touch, moved over, and, and got her. I'm like, bro, I just let you in. I just let you in, and now you're going to block me? Now you're going to push me out. I'm honking. I'm like, and then, and then I didn't let it go. I'm like, no, 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 sir. You know, you want to, I'm going to speed back up and I'm going to turn my blinker on again. And I'm, I'm going to remind you I'm the one who first let you in. So now you let me in. That's what Paul is saying the gospel does. The gospel let you in so you let others in. The gospel welcomed you, you welcome others. It does not matter how you feel. It does not matter what they've done to your history or your liturgy or how they've changed your expression of church as the Jew and Gentile did. It does not matter. If Christ has accepted them, that is your basis for acceptance of them because Christ has accepted you. Then he goes on. The rest is really kind of a, uh, it's four places where Paul takes us that the Spirit does. You could call it a recap of Romans chapter 8. Uh, you could call it the confirmations of the gospel that result in unity. But it's really quite unique because over the course of 15 verses, four different times, Paul comes up and he says it's by the 
Holy Spirit. How do we live in unity? By the Holy Spirit. How do we make an impact for the kingdom? By the Holy Spirit. How are our lives transformed? By the Holy Spirit. Remember, God didn't raise Jesus from the dead. God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, raised Jesus from the dead, right? There is a life-giving, breathing spirit that transforms us, and Paul takes us there from Romans 15, verse 13, all the way down. Here we go. Four spots, and then a big announcement, and we're done. (laughs) Romans 15, verse 13. He says, I pray that God, the source of hope, if you feel hopeless in here, God just gave you the source of hope. If you feel hopeless in here, God just told you the source of hope is not going to be in your crypto investments. The source of hope is not going to be in the gurus on Instagram that'll teach you how to get rich. The source of your hope is in, it's in God. So here's the source of your hope. I pray that God, the source of your hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow. Think about how beautiful this language is. The source of hope fill you with peace and joy so that you will overflow. When was the last time you were overflowing with peace and joy? When was the last time your spirit was bubbling over and peace and joy were flowing out of you? He's saying now, you will experience joy and peace because you trust him, then you will overflow with confident hope through. Here is the avenue, the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do I get to this joy and peace that is overflowing in my soul and constantly giving me hope. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember what Paul said, Romans 8, 10 through 11. He said, and Christ lives within you. You, you, Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit that is living within you. It is the Holy Spirit that is living within us that gives us joy and peace in the form of a hope that is then expressed from us that nothing can take from us. That nothing can steal your hope if it is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing can steal your hope if it is in the hope of the Holy Spirit that results in joy and peace overflowing in your life. We used to have a a football coach in high school. His name was Coach Clark. He was a legend. He was such an awesome coach. He, He loved the game. He was an easy teacher. He favored his students that were football players. It was great. Like it was the best thing in the world, right? That's how it should be, right? And Coach Clark had all these sayings. He was, he was a man of the best one-liners around. If you were slow and you were running slow, he called you a 70-something. He's like, yeah, you're a 70-something. Go, go be with the lineman. You're a 70-something. He used to have his run around the jobber. He didn't know what anything was. Everything was jobber. Hey, run around the jobber and come back. Run around that jobber and come back. No, not that jobber, that jobber. Run around the jobber and come back. He, he had all these, but then he had one that he was notoriously known for. I remember Hunter Bigby looked like his finger was ripped off of his body. 
And Coach Clark always said, it's far from your heart, brother. Get back in there. It's far from your heart. We had a shirt that said, it's far from your heart, Coach Clark, right? I mean, I remember Hunter was our quarterback, and Hunter dropped back. He threw a pass, got his finger caught in somebody's head. And I mean, it was pointing the wrong direction, right? Supposed to go north, and it's headed west. Like he's, he is messed up. He holds his hand up, and it looks like, a, look like an arrow going that way. And he's like, Coach, Coach, my hand. And Coach goes, far from your heart, Hunter, and you throw right hand to get in there anyway. And Hunter's like, What? What are you talking about? I mean, everything with Coach Clark. There was no injury that could take from you what was right here. Listen, when we talk about hope, everything that's happening in the world, everything that has you stressed out, worried, anxious, fearful, staying up at night, waking up early and not being able to fall back to sleep, it is far from the source of hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to remind yourself that. If you feel like you're being robbed of hope, your source is not the Holy Spirit. Your source is something here in this world because by the power of the Holy Spirit, joy and peace begin to overflow us. And then Paul goes right here, Romans 15, 19, says they were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. We have a power in the Holy Spirit. I, I, I struggle with this because people always, in, in our world, they talk about the gospel in a way of like, it makes me nervous because I don't know how others will receive it. Right? Like I had a friend who was, who was talking to me. He was like, man, I want to share the gospel with my friends, but they're, they're not really close to the Lord. They're not. Listen, it, the gospel is not reason. It is power. The gospel is not reason. It is power. It's not a matter of will they connect with the reasoning of it or not. Paul is saying, I came preaching power. I came delivering power, and it is the power of God that leads to transformation. Romans 8, 1 through 2, he says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. I love what Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 20. He says, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's not just this, it's living by God's power. Listen, where the gospel goes, power goes. The gospel always wins. If we don't believe it, we don't understand its power. The gospel wins. The gospel has power. The gospel is our power. It's our strength. We can't be afraid of it. We're we're strengthened by it. We can't be worried about what people think about it. It is the hope of God to save the world. It's the gospel. Our mission is to spread that gospel, a gospel that moves by power. I've seen people who were the furthest thing from God become passionate worshipers of Jesus in our culture by the power of the gospel. Their wife told me about it. They're like, this hard-hearted son of a Baptist was always so rude, so harsh, so mean, so angry, and now I cry every time I'm in church because they're lifting their hands in worship. Because of the power of the gospel. 
right? We have to recognize Paul's saying there is power by the Holy Spirit. Then the third thing Paul comes to, oh, we gotta go. Romans 15, verse 16. He says, I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I bring you good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God. This is really cool. Made holy by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? We are made holy by the Holy Spirit. We pursue holiness by way of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 12 through 14, Paul again brings this up. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. In other words, holiness is the pursuit of Christian intimacy by way of sacrifice. We mix this up all the time. Holiness, if you want to grow in holiness, you wanna become holy as as the Lord said, be holy because I am holy. Holy is is the pursuit of Christian maturity by way of sacrifice. That's what holiness is. Holiness in the law was animal sacrifice. Holiness by the Spirit is self-sacrifice. See that, right? Holiness, when Paul, Romans 12, verse 1, uh, where is it? It was, he says, your, your body becomes a living sacrifice, right? It is by sacrifice that we grow in holiness. Listen to Jesus affirms in Matthew 8, verse 34. Then calling to the crowd, joining his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Again, in Matthew 10, 38, he says, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. When Paul's talking about the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 24, he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Our holiest life is not in what we say yes to, but what we say no to. Your deepest level of intimacy and holiness with God is not going to be in all the things you do, all the things you say yes to, all the acts that you perform, all of the resume accolades that you accumulate. Your deepest and holiest moments with God are going to be when you tell yourself no. When you learn to decide against yourself, when everything in you is longing to look at something you shouldn't, do something you shouldn't, respond to a text message you shouldn't, send a DM to somebody you shouldn't, walk in relationship with somebody you shouldn't, flirt with somebody you shouldn't, any of the, everything, when everything in you wants it and you can say no, that's when you're walking in holiness. The power to do that is by the Holy Spirit. The power to do that is by the Holy Spirit. I know I've told you this a thousand times, but it's one of my favorite quotes of all time. It was Pastor Nick Saban, the football coach of Alabama. He is, um, you didn't get that? Or are you just LSU fans? I don't know, either way. Um, 
So Nick Saban was asked on a podcast. They, there's a podcast called Origins. It's actually fascinating. They try to find the people who are the greatest at their craft, and they figure out their origins of like, how did you become like this? And the origins of Nick Saban, the question was, how have you maintained greatness for so long? How, how on earth, it's one thing to win a championship. It's another to create a dynasty over decades with multiple championships, Pastor Nick Saban, how did you do it? And when they asked him, Nick Saban replied, and it's one of my favorite quotes. He said, it's easy, discipline. The guy said, well, can you, can you tell us more? And he said, yeah, it's this simple. There are things that you don't want to do, but you should. Can you tell yourself yes? There are things that you want to do, but you shouldn't. Can you tell yourself no? That's discipline. That's discipline. You know what else that is? That's holiness. Holiness is being able to decide against yourself. Paul is saying the holiness that comes by way of the Spirit will cause you to be a living sacrifice. And by living as a sacrifice, you will be most satisfied in Christ. You will find the joy of obedience. You'll find the, the absolute delight of obedience. You know you can do all of the right things and still have no joy, right? You know what that's called? Hopelessness. Hopelessness robs you of the joy of obedience. Because you can do all of the right things, but if you don't have hope, if you, if you don't know why you're doing those things, they become empty tasks. But when the power of the Holy Spirit gives you hope and you begin living as a sacrifice, all of a sudden you experience the joy and delight of obedience. And then Paul lands here, Romans 15, verse 30. <clears throat> he says, Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do this because of your love for me given to you by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? As you can imagine, because you've been here for every week of this season and you know the context of the letter, after the first three chapters, there wasn't a Jew or a Gentile that was a big fan of Paul. They were not big fans. Paul came in, Nail, meat, hammer, hammer, meat, nail, and just start obliterating everybody. And yet Paul is saying now, at the very end, I urge you, would you pray for me? And they're like, heck no. And he's like, pray for me by the love that was given to you for me. And they're like, wait, what? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember Romans 5 verse 5. It says, and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When you follow Jesus and you are filled with the Spirit, you love differently. When you are filled with the Spirit and you are walking in the Spirit, you have a love and an acceptance for a brother that is not based on how you feel about them, how they look, what they've done to you, what you've done to them. You, when you are walking by the power of the Holy Spirit, you love 
differently. Husbands, when you get saved and you give your heart to Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit enters you, you love your wife differently. Wives, when you get saved and the power of the Holy Spirit is working in you, you love your husband differently. We love differently by the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe I can give you an illustration and it will help, help describe it, okay? Um, so Anna and I, we ate healthy all week long. Didn't we? We did good. I mean, well, I did. I don't know. I mean, no, you did. We both did really good. And then Friday came. And on Friday, we were like, you know what would be really fun? Let's take the kids to CeCe's Pizza and have, have a time. Let's go to CeCe's Pizza. And in a moment of weakness, I pitched the idea. Anna's all for it. The kids are screaming. We go. We walk into CeCe's Pizza, pay 40 bucks, and I black out. <laughs> don't know what happened. I woke up with marinara sauce all over my face and a tray of cinnamon rolls in front of me and my family was going, do it, do it, do it. Canaan's like, dad, finish the tray. And I'm like, oh Lord, no, I didn't start that. Did I really just do that? And, and I mean, dad's no quitter, right? So I had to win. My kids are there. I got to be their hero. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll finish up. By the way, CC cinnamon rolls? What? <laughs> insane. Do they sell those to go? <laughs> Lord, I hope not, right? So we did. I mean, we absolutely went crazy. Got home, got the kids to bed, meet Anna in the kitchen. We walk up to each other. We're looking at each other. She's pregnant and I am now too. And we're just like, <laughs> oh man. And she looks at me and she says, babe, do you think I'm disgusting? <laughs> and I said, no. Why? Do you think I'm disgusting? Is it something I ate, you know? And she was like, no, babe. I, I saw you working out today, and I thought, man, he looks so good. And I was like, yeah, that's right. I was like, you're the sexiest pregnant woman I've ever seen, right? And we're both, and we're both looking at each other, and we have this, this CC's hangover where we both just, like, I can't, I, we, we need to wait to go to bed because I can't lay down right now. <laughs> I'm afraid, I need to stay vertical so the food stays here because if I lay down, I'm in big trouble, right? But we've talked about this uh, for our entire marriage, really, is what we call the standard of love. Or the standard of attraction would be a better way to put it. What is the standard of attraction when you get married? And, and early on, we had, we had a conversation about this, and we sought the Lord about this, and I feel like out of all of the things we've screwed up, this has been really good. Um, that for me, here's how we say it. For me, my standard of beauty, my standard of attraction, and my standard of 10 out of 10 is my wife. Right? Thank you. Her standard of beauty for, thank you, right? Thank you. Same kind of applause. Her standard of beauty is me. And that's, thank you, so, one person. Thank you so much. Now, here's what happens. And this is a concern to me. When I hear married couples talk about how attractive other people are other than their spouse. Oh, man, Anna did it one time with Justin Bieber. One time. And then I threatened to start dressing like Tiger King and grease my hair up and get all these nasty tattoos. And she was like, no, okay, you're, you're there. Yeah. But no, what we've done is we have established from early on our standard of beauty is this. And it's not, it's not plural, it's singular. Amen. 
This is the difference. The, the standard of beauty is singular. So I'm not talking about, oh man, that chick on TV is just smoking hot, right babe? What do you think? They look really good. And Anna's not looking at me saying, oh man, that guy is so muscular and strong and everything. No, because we have, we have made our standard of beauty the covenant that God has given us. When it comes to love, yeah, listen. When it comes to love, it's the same way. We have a different standard of love and it is not Plural, it is singular. It is Christ's love for us. Which means this. You don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. Your standard of whether or not you're going to love a brother and sister in Christ is not whether or not you like them, whether or not you agree with everything they say, whether or not you look like each other, whether or not you talk like each other, whether or not you've come from the same place. Because your standard of love by the power of the Holy Spirit poured into our hearts has changed. It is now singular. It is one love that has transformed me. It is one love that fills me. And it is one love that comes out of me by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we don't have a choice but to love each other. I heard somebody say that one time. We can't argue about everything because we're all going to be together in heaven and that'll be awkward. (laughs) So we have to love our brothers and sisters in Christ because Our standard of love has changed. That's how we walk in unity. Oh, that's heartbreaking. That's the end of Romans 15. Let me leave you with this. Romans 16, 25 through 27. You can read the rest of the chapter yourself, but at the very end, Paul gives this charge, and I think it's a good charge for us to lay this to rest with, okay? Paul says, now all glory to God who is able to make you strong, just as my good news says. This message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan for you Gentiles, a plan kept secret from the beginning of time, but now as the prophets foretold and as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere so that they too might believe and obey him. Verse 27, all glory to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, forever, amen. The end of Romans.